Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week, I'm joined by one of my best friends, Rosie Matteo, founder of Matteo Communications, the biggest cannabis PR agency in the country. Rosie has solidified herself as a trailblazer within the cannabis space, garnering global media coverage in mainstream publications for clients and using her far-reaching influence to advocate for industry legitimacy. Her rapidly expanding PR agency is a powerhouse driving conversations, shaping perceptions, and molding cannabis and lifestyle brands such as Cureleaf, Candescent, and Plus Products into household names. In this episode, we chat about her journey from mainstream PR to becoming a mother of four, then taking the risk and entering the PR cannabis space. Rosie shares some great tips on finding a partner who has complementary skills to grow and scale up business, not being afraid to ask for help, saying yes even when you have no idea how, and the importance of having discipline and confidence personally and professionally. Lastly, we talk about the challenges working in the cannabis industry and where the industry is headed next. It was so much fun catching up with my friend Rosie. Keep listening to learn more. Rosie, welcome to the podcast. It's so much fun to have you on today. Rosie and I are best friends. We met in college at Boston University, and then we moved to New York City directly after graduating. We barely graduated, honestly. And we lived together as roommates for the first couple of years living in New York. So welcome, Rosie. Thanks for having me, Liz. I'm so excited to chat with you today. We're so lucky that we're both on this entrepreneur journey and to do something together. I'm pumped to be here. Thanks. Awesome. And as I think back to being roommates in New York, like you, A, had a job the day out of college working in PR. And so you've really followed that path. But obviously, it's taken an amazing turn. And you're now this amazing PR powerhouse. So I'd love to start. We don't need to go all the way back to to day one of graduating, but I do want to start a little bit with like your experience in PR at a major firm and then how that really took you from that to having kids to getting into the world of cannabis PR. Yeah. So I'll make a long story short. So yeah, I graduated college, started a job like the day after big agencies in New York City, Rubenstein, which is one of the largest in the world actually, and cut my teeth there and learned like really how to hone the craft. Moved on to another boutique agency in 2005, got engaged and moved out to Chicago. So I decided to, you know, go out on my own and start my own firm. Really maintained one or two clients, mostly in specialty food and some technology. But it was really more of like a side hustle. I just got married. I was starting to have family. And then in 2013, my husband took a job out in Seattle, Washington, which had just gone adult use uh, for cannabis. And somebody randomly approached me to do the launch of a crowdfunding campaign for a cookbook because I had this like specialty food and tech background, but it was a cannabis cookbook. So like all things came together. I just moved to a state that had legal cannabis. I got this project and it was a really successful six week project. And when like the New York Times, the Fast Company and Mashville, all these publications that I really usually had to beg them to write a story were clamoring for an exclusive, a little light bulb went off my head that I could bring my mainstream background from agency and working in, you know, mainstream specialty food to the space. And now eight years later, we're the largest firm um, in the cannabis industry. And so it's been a pretty wild ride. That's so incredible, Rose. I'm so proud of you. And at the time when you were getting into that and, and taking this client and then like kind of taking the next step, were you hesitant getting into cannabis 
you know, obviously it wasn't what it is today, which is, you know, now getting, and thanks to you really helping to get it mainstream, but it was still taboo. And what was that like getting into a new industry? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, as entrepreneurs all like a little crazy within us, like to actually take that leap, but it was like majorly taboo in 2014. First of all, I was a mother of four. I had like a four month old baby when I got into the space and I thought it was really cool what I was doing. And I wasn't really thinking much about like what the implications could be, but I started posting these stories on Facebook being like, Hey, look at my new cool weed client. And my husband who works like, you know, in a pretty buttoned up finance job, would call me and be like, Rosie, like maybe you want to take that off of Facebook. Your mother of four, I work in finance. Like, what are you doing talking about me? And my parents really thought I had lost my mind. And like, nope, nobody was doing this. Like nobody. And especially coming from the East Coast, like on the West Coast, people, you know, cannabis is already like part of like the culture. On the East Coast, like it's taken eight years. We still don't even have really legal cannabis in New York, New Jersey, where I am. So people definitely thought I was nuts, but I believed in it. And I was having a really good time. So I just sort of like shut out the noise, but people like would make crazy jokes when I like show up at the carpool line, like thinking like I was like a drug dealer. I'm like, no, I just pitch PR like any other product. So yeah, it, the tide is definitely changing, but the beginning was very tepid. I feel like when you were starting, it was the time when Weeds was on Showtime, right? Or was yeah, that- exactly. There was a lot of that. Yeah, I got the, like, the brunette hair. People did right, a lot exactly. of parallel. So <laughs> it was just the beginning. And, but really like, even I think about the landscape today, like we go to Vogue all the time and pitch them cannabis. In 2014, when I was trying to, you know, pitch my Vogue and Marie Claire contacts, they were like, no way, lady, like there's not a chance. And now they, then they beat editors. So it's, it's amazing. Like sometimes it feels like it's taken so long. Think about it, in eight years, like the transition has been pretty wild. That's amazing. So when you were starting out, Obviously, you were like excited about this industry, but did you really think like, I'm going to be solely focused on this and this really has their runway or what was your feeling at the time? I mean, in the beginning, it was just more like I was having fun. And then, um, you know, the more I didn't know much about the space either. Like I was definitely like some people who've been in the space for a long time, such 2014, they had really been like early adopters. And I didn't know much except for like, we used to smoke weed in college, right? And maybe after college too, right? So like, yeah. that was like my experience with weed, not as it as a business. And like, I never, like when I started that day one, I was having fun. I liked having cool new clients, but I never thought we'd I'd be employing 65 people and have 70 clients to be like a cannabis focused firm. It wasn't even like a thing back then. So I didn't really have the opportunity, but by 2017 like, and I was, I had like nine clients and I was all by myself. I was like, okay, there's something here. Like it was not like I needed to grasp like how I was going to turn this into like a real business, not just be like the Rosie show as a side hustle, but I never could have imagined where it is today. And like, it is still such early innings. So I still think there's like a bright future for, you know, where we're going, at least as an agency. That's awesome. So let's dive into that a little bit of scaling because having 65 employees is crazy and going from nine to 65 over these last couple of years is insane. So how did the company really evolve from that point that you just said of like, okay, this is no longer going to be this side hustle and let's make this like a real business. I mean, not that it wasn't a real business, but. Yeah. No, but it was, it was a very stressful time. So I think it was um, probably 20, it was 2018, the summer of, summer of 2017 or 2018, we had moved back to New York City. My husband took a job back here. We moved back. My business was getting pretty busy. We wanted to be closer to family and I only knew how to do what I knew how to do, which is like pitch a story, right? Or create like a strategy, but running a business and doing the actual job of PR are two totally different things. And I had no idea what to do. I was at these nine clients, one person with like an intern who was actually um, one of my clients that was still non-cannabis daughter. 
And I would come home at night and I or come home, I was working from home. So I would come downstairs at night and I'm in my little home office to dinner with my husband and I would cry because I would say, Dan, like there's an opportunity in front of me and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I can't take on any more clients. I'm not seeing the kids. It's chaos here. Like I did not know what to do. And to the point, like my intern was like, I, she was, she was working with me that summer and I was so crazed. Like I wrote her a check and it was from an old bank account and it bounced. Like I was such a freaking mess. And just around that time, her father, who was a longtime entrepreneur, and I'd known him my whole life, like she started to told him the story that Rosie's working cannabis. By the way, she been, you know, she bounced a check. <laughs> so 20, you know, the summer, he calls me. He's like, let's have breakfast. And so we went for breakfast and he said, you know, Rosie, like, I hear what you're doing. Cannabis is becoming a thing. Um, like, what are you doing here? And again, I said to, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I have no idea. And even like Dan, even earlier in that summer, my husband had said, Rosie, like, you got to scale this thing. And I said, I can't do this. He said, well, imagine this, you know, one day you wake up in the morning, you take the girls to school, go to the gym and you walk into your office with your coffee and you got 15 people working there. I'm like, it'll never fucking happen. So I hope it's okay to be Percy. It'll never happen because like, I just know what I was doing. So I met with Mitch, who was my business partner now. And he said, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to build a business. I don't know how to scale a business. He's like, well, I do. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, let me help you um, grow this. So I came home to my husband that day. I said, you know, Mitch wants to help. He wants 20% of my business. And Dan's like, no way. You've been working your hard. He wants 20% of your business. I'm like, but I can't do this. Like, this is like my ceiling. So it's either I give him 20% of my business or like we close up shop because this is like the max. This is like the peak. So he, he was like, listen, this is your business. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea. You know, you work so hard for this, we do it. So Mitch joined me in October, 2018. We hired our first employee in uh, November, 2019. And he helped me build infrastructure. He helped me hire. Like when I was hiring before, like I get these interns, I just wanted like somebody, I wanted a, a warm body. Yeah. And he's like, that's not how you build a business. So he helped me uh, set up like infrastructure, get us office space, billing. I'm never gonna bounce a check again um, <laughs> and hire. So we, so the, and the growth has been pretty meteoric. I, I can't believe it. So we hired our first employee in November of 2018. And now we're 65 people in we're talking in, you know, April, 2022. So that's really what's happened. And it's been like step-by-step. Step. We weren't 70 people the first day, but he's really helped me scale. I, I know like we did in revenue. We did like what I did the whole year, like a month now. So it's just been crazy to see. Amazing. And my advice to entrepreneurs is like, you can't do it alone. Find people who can support you. And have like, maybe even we have no overlap in skill sets. So he's really helped me scale while I've been honing my craft. Well, I think it's amazing that obviously you found him or he found you but that you were really open at the beginning to be like, I don't know this and be very clear of what your skill set is and was versus what he could bring to the table. And it remains this way today. We have zero overlap in, in job roles. And that's like very unique. A lot of co-founders, like they started it together. He's my co-founder now. Like when we turned to like a reel from the Rosie show to actually like an agency. Yeah. So I'm very lucky there where like, he doesn't question what I do and I don't question what he does. So like that, I, that's a part of it. you got to find a partner you can trust and that, you know, you stay in your lane. Yeah. You're so lucky for that. So as you've scaled over, you know, the last couple of years and hired all these people, what have been some of the things you've done to retain culture? Because certainly like as a service business, your people are your product. Like that is the most important oh. thing. And how do you think about that? product walks out the door every single night? You are hundred percent. Right. <laughs> so the culture is really like the secret sauce to our agency. I'm very lucky that we're in a very cool industry. Like weed is very hot right now. It's not a prerequisite to work at an agency, but happens to be people who have passion for the plant 
come work for us because they see the opportunity, you know, they love it. So that's been like the easy part, right? Because I've got, we got a cool industry. You're not, you know, many right, years of shared values. Like, you know, like yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. And I worked an agency, right? And I, I knew that I didn't want to have a typical agency where it's like, it's, I always say it's PR and not the ER, right? I want my people to have like a quality of life. I, I like, there's a lot of like toxic and like competitive nature, many agencies, like who's going to get the hit? I have zero tolerance for that. I think collaboration has been like, just make sure everybody knows that like we're in this together. We are a team. Like I, I'm not impressed with you. If you're doing better than other people in the agency, that means like you're not sharing information. And I think that's like not the right move. So like that's from the outset, like no, no competition, very lateral agency. So I think like that's what set us apart. And, you know, we do think we invest in our people, even during like COVID, right? When we were all apart, we did weekly sound meditations and DJ sessions, like really investing in the team, because like I said, I can't make a better granola, right? I can only have my people. Yeah. So that is it. Like, it's all about the team. It's all about creating like a, a really you know, collaborative culture. And, and that's been the secret. And we have really, really high retention. We've only had one person leave and they went to work for a client and the other or second person leave, they went to graduate school. Like we have very, which is rare. We have very yeah, good attention. Thing. So I think like that's really the secret. And also I think that I, I hire like-minded people to myself. We're like this commitment to excellent, like never being satisfied. Like, and that's, that's be competitive with yourself. Right. And like, I, 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 that's what I sort of look for when I'm interviewing somebody. Like, do you get pride from your work? This is not a nine to five job. You had to take pride of the work. Do you have a favorite interview question? Oh God, that's actually a really good one. But like, you're with me. I give like a five minute interview. Um, <laughs> but I, I always, I always find, I always ask them like what, like what they're most proud of, which hit they're most proud of. And they always, if they can tell me off the top of their head, like this was the one, like, you know, that they took pride in it. So that's like my number one, like what was your biggest win? And I want to see like where that is. Yeah. But I, I do agree with, with your five minute interview. I just feel like, you know, like, you know, instantly if someone's going to be a good fit or not. Instantly, like I just, it just so, it, it's, it's weird because like interviewing, like hiring people was like definitely not my skill set, but like I know within literally five minutes whether or not they're a fit for the agency, just by the way they answer a question in their body language and like their enthusiasm. So let's talk about where the business is today. Obviously, it has grown tremendously and your services have changed so much as the, in, not only as the industry has changed, but as PR has changed. There was no influencer in 2014, right. or maybe, you know, it's called something else, but talk about where you guys are today. Yeah. So that's been actually the, the fun part about this, or just, you know, where we found our pockets of growth. So like I said, I started as a sole practitioner, just doing, you know, media relations, like that was like the lead. Because we were so early on, like we were the first agency many people have, we launched a lot of agents, a lot, lot of businesses. So this like trust between client um, and service provider, like, was made with a lot of these clients. So they would come to us and say, Hey, PR is great, you know, but we need to add social media, like as thing, and you know, as things are evolving, or we need to add influencer or we're going public. Do you have an IR firm that you like? Do you have a social media firm that you like? So they came to us at social media and said, Oh, we do that. We didn't do that. Right. But like, so the next day I went out and I hired head of social media. They're like, do you know anybody that's influencer? Oh, we do that. So I just, you know, building the plane while we're flying it, like just say yes. Yeah. Like, yes. Like, yes. Just say yes. 
just say yes. And then we built it. So like as our clients evolved and needed new services, we evolved with them and we evolved the business that way. So we started with one service. We now have nine different services we do. And as the industry evolves, we try to evolve with it. And, and that's been a cool part of it because still the biggest bulk of our revenue or business is PR, but it's great to see some of our clients do all these services with us. And it's been actually a great learning experience for me because I didn't know how to run a social media agency and I still don't. I have experts to do that, but I'm learning more. So that's been cool. to like flex that like growth muscle you know, in terms of like skills. And what about the range of your clients? They're not all necessarily, hey, we're branded CBD gummy. Right. So we work across the supply chain. So we do some of the large multi-state operators. And what that means is like they are, they retail or like brands throughout the country. Um, We work some of those biggest ones and we work with a lot of like the top brands. We also do a lot of like the boring stuff, which we love, which is like the ancillary services which would be anything from like cannabis testing labs to data analytics platforms. And we love the geeky stuff because like the picks and shovels, which we are to the, of the industry, it really shows like we're like the growth, right? In the beginning, like people just, this looks like a cool product, right? People love weed. This is a nice packaging, right? But now that we've actually data analytics to know like what sell, what sell through is, like what the preferences are, the brands or the companies are getting so much more sophisticated. So that's been a cool evolution. So we love working with some of like the picks and shovels that's that stand up the industry. So how is the industry? I mean, obviously the industry has changed so much, but from your perspective, how has it changed from a business perspective of like, how do you send samples? Could you send samples now and banking and like all of those complicated things that I'm sure when you went into it wasn't necessarily front of mind. Yeah, it wasn't. And um, and this has actually been, it's been like a heyday for cannabis PR because there's so many limitations. So like if you launch a new product list, you like will get all the assets done and you'll send samples out to editors. Maybe they'll review it. You can do an Instagram uh, story and you can post and you can uh, boost it. So that the giveaway, giveaways, all these things, like there's all these marketing tactics that a general CPG company can employ that cannabis companies cannot because it's federally legal. So for example, you launch a granola, you can boost an ad on Facebook. Cannabis companies cannot boost ads on Facebook or Instagram. And even if they do, it's like illegal and they will, they can get their pages shut down. So you wow. can like put all this time populating your pages with content and you like trip up the social networks and you can get your platform shut down. So like that, those are huge limitations that normal companies don't do it. Or like I said, like we launch a new cannabis product and I want to get it to Vogue magazine that's New York. We don't have legal weed in New York and you can't ship things over state lines because it's federally illegal. So like those are huge, huge obstacles that we um, employ even to the point banking. We're lucky because we're ancillary. We haven't been flagged yet, but like most companies cannot bank with actual like banks, right? So like they can't be a JP Morgan Chase. They can't be a Bank of America because it's federally illegal. So they can get shut out of those accounts. They work with like credit unions or a small business loan. We can't take a small business loan because of banking. So like the access to capital, the scale of business, you have to go through like private equity, which is like, you have to be at a certain point of your life where you can, you know, in life cycle business, you can do that. So there's so many limitations, but it also gives us this opportunity to the, at least on the marketing side, to be really grassroots and scrappy um, and be really creative. So that's been a fun part of it. Like, how do we, how do we get samples? So what we do is plan amazing press trips. We get them to our cannabis grow and then we're able to go to store and buy the product. So we do unique workarounds, but this is like not a typical industry whatsoever. Well, I do think it is though a good lesson, like for anybody starting out in any kind of business though, of like, it is about getting creative and scrappy. And sometimes that like straight line route isn't the way that you go and how to get, I mean, 
probably also it's like better for the editors and that they weren't just getting something in the mail, but you were now giving them this experience that they like truly could understand the product and, and the brand. Exactly. And also there's this education factor, right? Like this is a brave new world of like cannabis is CBG. It's not just weed in the baggie, right? So the more that we can be in front of editors and actually educate them so that they understand like the nuances or like the opportunity or where cannabis is going is great. So having that, you know, in-person experiences has been like, it's been, a, it's been more expensive than just like shipping something in the mail or doing a cool mailer. But I think like, it's really impactful, but I will say there's an opportunity like for our agency, because it's federally legal. We're not going up against the guys, you know? Right. Um, so that's been like, there, there's some like silver lining into not being accessible to the masses. So where do you think canvas industry is going in the next call it three so, years? Well, hopefully there'll be some federal reform, right? Will it be federally legal in the next three years? Probably not. You never know because I've learned over the years, like you can't crystal ball what the government's going to do, but there's some legislation that would really help move the industry forward that we're hoping for something called safe banking. So my point about banking, forget about the fact that you can't get a business loan. All these companies, all these cannabis stores, these retailers deal in cash because you can't take a credit card. That's a big public safety issue, right? And we see it all the time. These dispensaries are held up at gunpoint because they know they have millions of dollars on cash in their stores, right? So that's a big issue. So we're hoping that will shake out. We're hoping one of the most important things is that uh, the, the war on drugs, right? Which really has affected these communities, you know, black and brown communities throughout the country. So there's like some legislation, especially in New York coming online, where they're giving social equity candidates like a leg up so they can benefit from this huge business. So we're hoping that there's gonna be some reform that's gonna help keep the industry safe and to get a lot of people out of jail that should not be there. I'm making money for off cannabis and there are 40,000 people sitting in prison for what I do every day. So we're hoping those type of reforms go through. But in terms of like brand and cannabis is like not, well, it's it's a commodity, right? It's a it's a plant, right? Yeah. So, but so is great in alcohol, right? But we know that, Tito's and we know that Grey Goose and Kettle One, those are all brands, right? Same, same type of material. Cannabis is going the same way. You're going to see branded products being built off of cannabis. That's everything from the actual flower to drinks, to different form factors that appeal to mainstream consumer. You're going to walk into a cannabis dispensary. It's going to look like a Sephora. So that's where it's going. There's going to be real CPG work done in the cannabis space. And that's going to really just change the landscape of how people consume cannabis, you know, for eternity. That's amazing. What, what is the number one product? Be it like a, it's still a gummy flower. It's, okay. like, it's still cannabis flower. It's the number one because that's what we've had, but yeah. And, and, and the drinks are a really small part of the market, but they're my favorite part of the market right now. They're 1%, right? Wow. But like, yeah. So it's a really small part that's of the shocking. market. That being said, like, I think as more states turn on, like think about us, we're used to having a cocktail, right? I mean, we'd be like cannabis, like, but we want to go into bar. We have one of a drink right. at the end of the day, right? So cannabis beverages, as legislation opens and they are allowed more on-premise, right? So a type of activations, like I'm going to get together with like my mom friends. We're probably not going to smoke a joint in front of our 12 kids. Right. We might open up a can of like sparkling cannabis seltzer and drink it. There's no change of behavior. So I'm, I'm really bullish on the drink sector. And some of them are like the innovation, like there's cannabis wines. It's like you can have a glass of rosé where they de alcoholize and they put cannabis in, don't hang over the next day. So I love the drink segment. You can't combine the two, right? Not, not <laughs> legally, no, but <laughs> at home, you do Go for it. You know, that's what I say. <laughs> okay. So I'm curious to hear 
after these last couple of years, this massive amount of growth and success and thinking about Rubenstein day one out of college, if you could go back to your either BU self or first move to New York self and give yourself advice, what would it be? Oh gosh. First of all, I will say something about putting things out into the universe. Like yeah. I think at one point in college, I said, I want to like sell, I want to be like a drug dealer. I want to sell weed. I do, like, remember, I do right? remember that. And I, I, I was like, <laughs> it should be really cool and beautiful, like appeal to women and like be really cute, which is so funny to think like almost That's 20 so years funny. later, how older we that like right. I actually sell like cute weed. I, like right. it's like you put things out in the universe, not thinking about it, like the law of attraction, like. I maybe put this out there, but I think my one piece of advice would be is like ask for help, help earlier, right? Like I wish I had, you know, we're at a great place right now, but I wish I had known that like you can't do things alone. Like as a perfectionist, type of control free person, you feel like you you need to do all yourself. But if I had like, I would have saved myself a lot of stress and less crying at night if I'd asked for help earlier. So that's my one piece of advice. And also like just say yes, right? Like so there could have been opportunities, there are some opportunities that like I passed up because I was like, I had like scared, a little scared to do it. And like, those could have been big opportunities. So like always take the call, always take the meeting. Like those are two pieces of advice I would give people. Do you myself. remember what one of those meaningful ones that you turned down was? Yes, actually I do. One of them, I was still working in specialty food and somebody approached you like, there's this woman and she's looking for like a PR agency and she's got like a line of like baked goods. And I was just, she's a lot of baked goods, but I felt like I didn't have bandwidth to do it or like I turned it down. Ended up being Bethany Frankel they were talking oh about. And ended up, you know, and so if I had been her publicist and did do the whole Real Housewives things and her sale, like where would I have been today? Like, I can't believe I turned down that opportunity. Like I would have been her girl. So I always think about that. So like, I didn't take the meeting because like something for some reason, I don't know what it was. And like, it was a huge miss. Such a good lesson. So as you talk about getting help, I want to dive into you personally. And you mentioned that you had four girls, but that's talk, give like laid the groundwork of how old your girls are. And then right. the question is like how you balance being a CEO, a mama for, and everything else in your life. Right. It goes back to needing help. Okay. So yeah. So just to leave the groundwork, a little background. I have four daughters, ages 13, 11, nine, and seven. So part of the crying when 2018 was that I had four very busy girls. I had a full-time working husband who did a very busy job. We we're both traveling all the time. My mother, my mother-in-law, the nanny, like it was absolute chaos in our house because we had busy children. And yeah, so I would cry because I was the last person to pick my kids up at school. Like I forget things like they want to go to birthday parties. Our homework wasn't done. It's very hard, right? You have a full-time job and, and a family. So I, I feel very lucky, you know, for the first couple of years of my marriage where my husband uh, had a pretty busy job, I followed him everywhere and really supported him. And in 2019, when things were getting really crazy with the business, my husband actually took a step back and he's now a stay-at-home dad. So people, and I, I try to give him as much props as possible. And people think, Rose, you do it all. I do it all, but I have a lot of help and I'm very lucky to have a supportive husband who's a stay-at-home dad now after having a 20-year career in like an, in finance hedge funds. That's probably now what people would think. And in my school, I'm one of the only like CEO mothers who are on the road and traveling. So we have a different dynamic and there's some puts and takes. Like I missed Heritage Fair this week at school because I was on the road, but my husband had it covered. And I have to remember that like I'm teaching my daughters like a different dynamic. It's not like it was when I was growing up. I mean, my mother worked, so I come from a long line of female entrepreneurs. My parents both worked, but so it was not this like a uh, paradigm of the stay-at-home dad. So 
it's different. My girls like don't have the same traditional upbringing as a lot of their friends, but I do think I hope that it's something that they're going to be proud of one day that like my mom was the breadwinner. My mom crushed it. I could do this too. So I'm hoping you're making the right decision, but it's not always easy. Yeah, no, it's such an amazing lesson for them to see that you are killing it. And I'm sure that it's going to play out in their like adult life of how much ambition that they have. Yeah. And I, I always feel a sense of pride when like my daughter, Dahlia, my nine-year-old, she was like, Googled you. And like, she sees like, <laughs> like, you know, the media and she's a picture. So like, I think like, you know, in the way they say proud, they don't, they don't fully get it. And, and hopefully I'm not scarring them for life, but I think that they're going to be proud in the end. <laughs> yeah. They'll be great. <laughs> we know. So as you were talking about missing, picking them up or like forgetting, obviously things have changed with your organization, but I'm curious to hear how you stay organized and like are on top of your time management. If you have any sort of process for emails or anything, because I think especially in your world, like everything is so timely. Not that like I, I yeah. have to wait a week to answer an email, but especially for you, it feels so much more important time and just curious to hear how you master all of that. Yeah, the, that's one of the biggest challenges. It's like I work on the news cycle, which is like always on. So like I'm attached to my phone, right? Cause like I have to answer the email on time and I'm not great with time management because I just want to do everything. So a few things is one, another thing I keep going back to asking for help. So about six months into us having, you know, employees, I think we had like 10 or 15 people. Um, we were doing the reviews and the key takeaway was like, Rosie needs an assistant. Because I was they told you that, or you, yeah, my, my, my employees like Rosie needs an assistant. Like we cannot that. function in her chaos. Okay. <laughs> I would chip above meetings. But I, yes. Yes. Put it in my calendar. And I'd have like three calls at the same time. Like nobody could get a touch with me because I'm like doing a million things at once. So actually getting like an assistant and investing in that. And when they told me that I'm like, I don't need an assistant. Like it's all up here in the head. They're like, yeah. If Rosie, trust me, get an assistant. Like you will, you know, you'll thank me. I now have two assistants because it's like so crazy. So I, I need somebody to help me stay organized, but I really try to bucket my time, like given that I'm always on. So the mornings, like I don't take, I get up very early. So I get the time for myself. I get up and I work out every morning. It's a fitness huge part of my life, but I do it very early where like, I'm not being bothered. That's what time are you getting time. up these days? Uh, around 4.35 in the morning. Um, I get up at 4.30, so I'm in the gym by 5, 5.30. So that's pretty early. That's a good time for me because West Coast and East Coast are sleeping and I work both coasts. So like, that's the best time. And even when I'm a little tired, just having like the peace where I'm not like on the phone is great. And then I have like a rule. I, I do not take any calls like when I'm home during dinner time. Like those are two hours where I put my phone away and sometimes I come back to like 60 emails. But like, I... I because I'm not home that often when I am home with my children, like from like from five to seven, if I'm home and not in the office on the road, like I have a zero call policy. Like maybe I'll check the email, but zero calls. And that's the only way that I can do it where like, I feel like I'm giving like my time to everybody and it's never enough, but those are the little processes I have. I have like three hours a day where it's like, I need to be rosy and I need to be rosy as mom. Cause the other, you know, 21 hours I'm working. Totally. I wake up and check my phone six times a night. I have to stop doing that. But like things come through on the West Coast when I go to sleep. It's 9 p.m., 6 p.m., like lots of stuff happens. So that's how I think about it. Do you have a process around your emails or around like your to-do list? No, I'm not a process-oriented person, which is like why I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the, the worst person for this agency in that respect. Like <laughs> not process-oriented, but like I know myself. Like as I have to hire people and we hire people who can support like sort of like my frenetic 
type of um, process, which is not one. So yeah, not for me. I wish I did. Like with the fact that I have, I have no folders. When people look at my, they're like, how do you not have folders for different like, and I'm like, it's too late. It's too late yeah. for me. You're not changing at this point. Yeah. I have like 90,000 emails in my inbox. That's it. I'm not a touch once person. I open the email immediately and things fall through the cracks. I've got some improvements to do. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm like, I'm stressed out right now. <laughs> Sorry. We don't want to stress. Okay. Let's talk about stressful things like your wellness routine. So this past year you did a marathon. You won the bikini contest. You're like a badass in your, in the gym and in, you know, your dedication to health and wellness. So let's talk a little bit about that. What tips you have for staying motivated, like this determination within you is certainly who you are, but would love to dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So there's a few things to that. So first of all, in terms of motivation, so motivation does not last, I always say like everyone's motivated but it's discipline and consistency and setting up a routine there, which is so funny. So in fitness, I can do it, but business, I can. And, and that's what it is. Like, like motivation doesn't last. So you really have to set up a process and your non-negotiables, right? So like I, I work on five days a week. And for me, it's a lot about like mental, like clarity and like I'm very high energy. So without the workout, like I'm a disaster. So it's just become a part of my life where like I, I can't function at work unless I'm taking care of my body. And also and with doing these like extreme sports, like, you know, bodybuilding and marathon running, you really realize like how food is fuel and how like your brain works differently when you're eating right or eating enough. So um, like, I believe I wouldn't be where I am today business-wise if it wasn't for like how I take care of my body. And that manifests manifest itself in a few ways. One, of course, the food is fuel. When I was training for this bodybuilding competition and my food was so low because you really need to get to low body fat and it means like not eating a lot and moving a lot more. I, I couldn't find, like I was, I was very short tempered. I, my, my ability to focus wasn't there. And so, and also it, it, it forced me, not that I've always, I've always been a very healthy eater and I love fruits and I love vegetables, but eating like high fiber, high satiety foods um, are the only way to like keep your energy up when like calories are so low. So that was a big lesson for me with that. But also part of it is like, you know, when you feel good about your body and you feel like good, like, you know, how you look and like you have high energy, that like really spills into the work. So I always say like my business started like taking off when I started feeling amazing about myself because you have that confidence. And especially in a business like mine where you're in sales, like you need to like own the room. So when you feel good about yourself, you could own the room. So like if I don't, if I wasn't feeling so good about how I look and how I feel, I don't think the business would be where it is today. So I really, really think they're connected. It's also about time management. When people tell me I have no time, like do not tell me that. I have no, I have no patience for that. I have... 65 employees, 70 clients, four children, a husband. If I can find time, anybody can find time. It's about being, you know, prioritizing and try say, I would say, try saying it's just not important to me, not that I have no time and see how you feel about it. Totally. So where do you think, well, I guess two questions. One, like on the dedication side, like I think even back to college. And if you remember like our senior year where we kind of were over partying at that point and we were just going to, to low fat, no fat. And like, really, we were focused on wellness, which thinking about it then, I mean, that was 2002, 2003. And we were like, we care more about like getting something good to eat, going to sleep and like working out in the morning and feeling good. So it's definitely been part of both of our lives. But yeah. 
Yeah, we used to drive out there all the time. Those chicken right. meatballs. Oh God, I miss them. They were so good. <laughs> and I was going to yoga. I mean, it was like yeah. really a different time. But like, do you think that that dedication is something that you can learn or just is something that's innately part of you? I, I think it's a mix. Like, I, I think I have it within me, like like I sort of like I am who I, I didn't realize it like that yeah. I was like this until like it, it's all sort of come to fruition. I think it's within me, but I do think it's a learned thing. Like also, and it's being able to like pivot, like the things that I thought that were healthy back then or oh, even like totally. three years ago, or the things that I thought like were going to get me to my goals weren't it. So I also think like success begets success. And when you find something that works for you, like whether it be like a job or like a fitness routine or a way of eating, when it becomes like second nature to you and you enjoy it and you find something that works, like, like I said, success begets success. You just want to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. So I think like I feed a little bit off of like the positivity of like the choices that I've made. And then like, I just go hard at it. So I think that's part of it too. It's like finding some people always ask me like, what do you eat? Or like, what, should, what, what diet should I do? What workout should I do? And I always say one that you're going to do every day. Yeah. There's like no right way, like intermittent fasting, gluten-free, dairy-free, Weight Watchers. And I've done them all, like whatever it is. I tried, I run, I've done yoga, I've done bar, I've done all the things, but like the way I eat and train now, like I don't dread it. I never say, oh, I don't want to work out today. I freaking love it. So I think it's finding like what you enjoy, whether that be work, you know, relationships, like, you know, Anything. food, working out, like that's, that's half, that's half the battle. Find it something you can do consistently. So for you now, let's talk a little bit about what your workout and, and your diet is like, but do you feel like that then was that turning point for you where like you were just saying that you started feeling like so confident and good in your body that that also then that success moved over into your business? Like what was, do you know what that like turning point was or it was finding like what this is now? Well, I think it was like, I had, and I see, and I see this all the time with people. Cause like I said, people, for some reason, I mean, I guess because like, I'm pretty fit, they come to me for advice. Right. Yeah. So, and I was the same way. Yeah, like, We were just on vacation and everyone was like, Rosie, what are you doing? Like, give us right, exactly. That's right. It was your workout. <laughs> What's my workout. So, and for years, like I thought what would work is like running, running. Like that was what everybody did. Right. To get the body. And like, I had been running and like for 15 years and looked exactly the same, right? So I was like, okay, well, this isn't working. So, and my brother had started lifting heavy weights. So like, what do I do? He was lifting, he was bodybuilding. Like he was not a bodybuilder, but like that was a type of like a workout he was doing, which was like deadlifts, glute bridges, squats, like all those like bro things that like most women like are historically have not done. Now it's getting to be like more of a thing. And maybe that's just like my filter because I follow all these bodybuilders on Instagram. Yeah. But like when I saw the bodies that I wanted that I thought looked great or I thought looked super healthy, I found out what they were doing was lifting heavy weights. So I gave it a whirl. And when I, and I did it pretty extreme in the beginning because I didn't know. So like I trusted blindly. So I followed this coaches. I hired a coach, by the way, don't, again, don't do it alone. Hired a coach to give me like fitness and exercise. So he gave me like, a bro diet, like bodybuilding, which is like rice and fish and broccoli and eggs, like and berries. That was it. That's like a bodybuilder's diet. And I followed it to a T and I lifted, like you said, and then I saw the body changing. I'm like, okay, I want more of this. I want more of this. But then I, then it became my own thing. Right. So now I still lift heavy every single day, but now I have more flexible dieting lifestyle. I don't eat like I ate like the same thing every single day for a year, which I'm good at. I'm always your way. But um, <laughs> when I when I like something, I like something. It's nothing because like I'm a control freak. It's just like, yeah. I get into something. Right. I but yeah, so I get into it. Exactly. So um, yeah, so I, I, I bodybuild. Like that's the type of style I do. Compound lifts. 
and I eat a lot of protein. Um, I do follow gluten-free and, and dairy-free diet right now, most of the time, because it's uh, taxing. I don't want any inflammation in my body, but in general, it's just all about heavy lifting, a lot of protein. And let's talk about, because you did just have some testing there. You went on a gluten-free, dairy-free, and like, let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Right. And I didn't even do that for aesthetic reasons. That's been like a nice, you know, bonus of it, but I am, you know, getting a little older and um, I've been waking up like drenched in sweat, which I thought was like not normal because it wasn't like that. We're not getting a month rosy. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I, I didn't have this 10 years ago. Okay. So I woke up like drenched. In, I've been waking up drenched in sweat. At first I was ignoring it, but like, this isn't normal to wake up like three, four times a week, like soaking wet. So I went to a doctor, uh, got some blood work, regular blood work done and nothing showed up. And by the way, and, and but if I look back, I'll get to that in a second. So I did some testing and nothing came back. I came back normal, thankfully. So I was like, but we still got to dig a little bit. So I actually did some like hormonal testing and some GI mapping. So, you know, took the samples, everything like that. And it came back a couple, like a couple, like small things that nothing really to worry about, but I have a big gluten intolerance, right? So I was like, well, might as well try to cut it out. And the sweating is almost like, I still get it once in a while, but it's really got away. So I think there's part of that. But when I look back, I remember being in high school and breaking out in hives, like all the, like when I was on like a team tour and like all we ate was like carbs on that team tour. Cause like the food is terrible. And I would wake up like with hives. So like, I think some of this was already in me, but I would have sort of ignored, like, I would think I was telling you vacation, like I'm a little allergic to like nightshades, but like, I like them and like they make my, or like almonds, like they make my mouth tingle. Like none of it's enough for me to stop eating them, but like, I feel better when I don't. So same thing with the gluten, like nothing really happens to me if I have it, except for that I'll sweat a little bit, but cutting it out, like I've lost some weight. I have like more energy. My skin is clearer. So there's something there that food like really does affect, you know, the way you look and feel. So for now it works, but like when we're on vacation, give me all the truffle beets. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily I don't have like an allergy. Yeah, totally. Well, I think it's such a good lesson for people who are experiencing anything like to get tested because these revelations come up and it's amazing. Yeah. It was how cool much better you feel. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and it's a choice. The answer. Yeah. I just want to know the answer. What I decided to do with that information is right. like another thing, like the, I'm supposed to take some testosterone creams and some other things like TBD, if I'm going to do that, the gluten is easy because like, once I find something I like to eat, that's gluten-free, it's easy for me to do it. Totally. So I aside, do English English muffins. <laughs> I do miss English muffins. I like an English muffin. But you can do a, a gluten-free Ezekiel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I got to look for that. In addition to your working out, do you have any other morning routines or anything else that you do to stay and feel your best, feel positive, et cetera? The workout's a big thing. And I have started two things I'm trying to do, and they're more actually at night. I'm trying to put my phone in another room because I can't help checking in the middle of the night. And then my sleep gets disrupted and I realize how important sleep is. I try to also to read at night now, just like sort of like brainless stuff. Like I got to turn the brain off. And, and those are things that like I'm working on. I need to be better at it. But I think like those are things like getting away like from the phone at night and just trying to like decompress, which is hard for me. So I'm working on that. Do you feel like that's already helped your sleep? It has like not having, not having the phone option is good in the morning. I've just always been this way. Like I just jump out of bed, right? Like I, I want to hit the, I hit the ground running. I'm a real morning person. So I feel like I can do my best, like mindset stuff at night. Cause like in the morning, like maybe I could be better at that. Maybe I should work on that, but it's easier for me to do it at night just to try to unwind versus like waking up with a lot of energy. All right. The last question before we move on to some rapid fire, how do you measure success personally and or professionally? 
I don't. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I'm, I'm, and this is like also something I should work on. I am literally never satisfied. Never. Like, so it's like when I get like a new account, well, what's the next account? When we get a big win, what's the next big win? And um, I think like it's part of the success. It's like probably will be my downfall too, like never being satisfied, but um, I'm just never satisfied. <laughs> I feel like that's so natural. I mean, someone just asked me this question yesterday too. And I was like, it's really hard. You really know, hard. Like I, I always, I always want to do something. Like, I always want to be better, right. you know? So, I mean, it's like a not, feeding. not necessarily me, but it just, it just the way I am. Yeah. I feel like it's like a fleeting, like, okay, this is great. And now on to the next thing. Right. That's the next thing. Yeah. I'm always like, people are like, oh, we've done. I'm like, don't believe the hype. Like there's just so much more we need to do here, you know? Totally. All right. Moving on to some rapid fire. What is the best advice that you have received to help your business? Slow down. Like I, I can be like a very reactive, right. And like taking a moment, like when something happens, like I want to like spring to action, like right away. Best advice would be like, take a deep breath, take a walk around the block. Let's think critically before we get reactive. And are you doing that? Are you taking that advice to heart? I am. I actually am. I actually, I mean, I have to, I have to check myself often. Like today I almost like went off. I'm like, and not like in a mean way being like, okay, we got to fix this now. I'm like, yeah. well, let's take, a, figure out what the steps are to fix it for saying like, I have to fix it today. What are three random things that you're currently loving? Ooh, random things I'm currently loving. I'm currently loving, I'll give you food wise, Elmhurst creamers, life-changing, delicious, all clean ingredients and like the best tasting like creamers I've ever had. Wow. I'm loving that right now. Okay. I'm also loving concerts right now. Like something that's new to me going like to live music has been really, really good for my soul. And those, it's funny, I'm, I'm finding that those are the moments where like, I'm, I'm anybody who follows me, like I'm very active on Instagram. I could probably be more present in my life. I live a lot of my life on social media. I'm finding when I'm at concerts, my phone's in my pocket, I'm not picking it up. So more of that. Other random things I'm loving. I'm really into um, frame jeans right now. We should oh. talk about that. We're going to have time. Um, so those are three things, Elmhurst, concerts, and frame jeans. Those are three things I'm, I'm, I'm loving right now. And we're going to Red Rocks. Oh, right. To see a concert, right. I'm, I'm bringing you in. We're going to see Billy Strings. Love him. Guys, look him up. Bluegrass, really fun. We're going to go do that. What do you want more of in your life? More, more calm. More calm. I, I need to work on that, but like not being, like today I am, I am like more moments of just like being super calm. I need more of that. And more time with my kids. Actually, honestly, I'm traveling a lot. Like the business is like part of my identity and it's like part of the future for my family's, you know, well-being. But um, more time with my kids, like being a little more balanced about, you know, what, what trips and travel I'm taking. What do you want less of? Less stress, man. Oh my God. You know, I mean, everybody wants that, but uh, yeah, I, I would like to just like have a little more like calm in my life. I think that's like the big thing. What is a meal that you'll never forget? Ooh, God. I mean, we're coming off some really good meals, man. Uh, a meal that I'll never forget. It's hard because I really like food, um, but I think actually uh, I'm going to give this last week. We went to Bonito. We went to a restaurant last week when we were together that had the most incredible incredible food, incredible views, where it was like one of those moments where like, I'm so lucky to be here and so lucky to be alive. So thank you Liz for the trip. But that was like a really, really memorable one. Yeah, that was amazing. And also we went in, also that we went in our bathing suits and cover-ups and everybody was like so dressed up for dinner. <laughs> we were just like, 
No, but like we were really present in the day, yeah. right? So like that is like so great. Like we just didn't want the day to end. We didn't want anything to interrupt it. Like let's just keep it going. So more of that. Those days were like time just flies and you're so tired at the end of it. So like, I think that was like part of it that we made it so special. Totally. And like you didn't have to stick to a schedule that we had to go back and change and just like went with the yeah. flow of the day. Exactly. Your favorite career moment. Oh, wow. Well, I, I think like even uh, they put me on the cover of a magazine <laughs> once. So like, that was like pretty awesome. cool. <laughs> like, you know, what am I, am I ever satisfied? No, but that was a moment like, and the reason why it was such a special moment is because it's like, it was like an industry magazine that I had been pitching like from day one. Like I'd gotten probably like 25 clients on the covers and then they called me. They're like, we want to put you on the cover. I was like, what? Wow. Are you kidding me? So like, that was like a pretty special moment. And it's like hanging in my office right now. So yeah, I'll never forget that. It was like glam, like the hair, the makeup, the, you know, putting the clothing on you. Like that's a dream come true moment. Totally. And lastly, what's your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Hitting that workout every single day. Do you take a day off? One day off a week, one day off. And yeah, and I force myself to do it because I know it's good for my body and everybody needs rest. But like for me, it's like where I, it's where I think, it's how I burn off the nervous energy. It's how I center myself. It's my me time. It's like, nobody bothers me. So like, it's just my workout, non-negotiable. Love it. Rosie, in closing, what is next for you? And anything else? Keep on keeping on, just keep getting better every day. And like, more concerts and more vacations with you. That's it. I mean, that, that's all I got. Perfect. Awesome. Rosie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Where can everybody find you? First of all, thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Like I get to spend an hour with my best friend on a podcast. Like what could be better? Um, you can follow me at Rosie Maddio on all the social networks and Maddio Communications on all the social networks too. So that's us. Awesome. Thanks, Rose. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.